So, Chris, I've been looking forward to this time one-on-one with you because um, uh, we just don't get to spend enough time together. And you you are uh, fresh within a week and a half, two weeks, from the Appalachian Trail? Two to three. Let's, let, let, let's um, clarify right now. Appalachian, Appalachian, other variations. What do you say? So if you're if you're more from the south, you tend to say Appalachian, but Appalachian uh, Northerners or non you know non Southerners, Midwesterners, myself included, I tend to say Appalachian, the Appalachian. Yeah. Part. Well, I I tend in to Georgia and Tennessee, to... you'll hear a lot of Appalachian. Okay, um, I try to go with with what Dwayne Mills says because he's like from there and lives there. But then I've met other people that are from different parts of Appalachia, Appalachians, and they all say it different ways. I think it's like Illinois and Illinois or Missouri or Missouri. But sometimes if you're from a place Boise like Ohio, Boise. Yeah, or Ohio and Idaho being confused for each other. I mean, that happens. Iowa. But, <laughs> Iowa, told, Iowa and Idaho. Do you get Iowa sometimes with Ohio? Uh, I don't think so. Not too much. <laughs> well, you've been on this, what I think is an epic journey. And it sounds like it was pretty uh, rewarding for you in a lot of ways, um, holistically. And I just I want to hear all about it, Chris. And so I can, I'll come up with questions. You know me. But um, I, I want to hear, oh, you're getting informed. Like the do-rag, the, the tie-dye do-rag for our listeners is going on the head. And there we go. Just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, now I'm disappointed. And there's a glare on the camera. If you can cover that back up, again, that'd be great. Oh. Um, I, I, think, I think where I've wanted to start, and you start wherever uh, you think might be better, but why did you do this? Why did you go on this hike? And this is part of a sabbatical kind of thing too, uh, spoiler alert. But, and you've done different parts of the trail, but this one seems different. So why, Chris? Yeah, so I would say I've been interested in hiking the Appalachian Trail for 15 plus years, something like that. I think the first time I read a book about through hikers on the Appalachian Trail um, would have been 12 to 15 years ago, something like that. So it's been kind of in my head for a little while. So whenever I was traveling and, and came near the trail, I would try to take the opportunity to go hike, either a day hike or spend one or two nights on the trail. Up to this point, two nights was the most I'd ever spent on the trail, hiking the trail. Um, Actually, one of those trips, I don't think the second night even counted because I uh, ended up sleeping in my car because of the rain. Um, So anyway, this has been something on my mind for a while. Um, Over the past year or so, I've been, as I thought about approaching uh, the big centennial mark of my life, uh, wait, centennial, what's the 50 year, bicentennial? No, that would be 200 years old. 
Um, I don't know. But anyway, so I'm approaching age 50 and, um, and thought, oh, I should do something epic and fun before I turn 50. Um, so I, originally I wanted to hike the Camino in Spain, the Camino Santiago, um, but with travel restrictions, COVID and all that, that just wasn't gonna be possible. So I opted for the Appalachian Trail. Um, original plan was to, to do uh, 40 days uh, on the trail, uh, but I ended up only on there for 23, 24 days. Um, but anyway, going into this, I would say, so part of it was, hey, I'm turning 50, let's do something interesting and exciting and adventurous um, as I finish out my you know, 40s. Part of it, it was also feeling like I'm going through a little bit of a transition vocationally and trying to figure out what's next, this new season, or is there a new season or really what's going on? So I felt like I needed some space and time to pray about that, figure that out. And then I would say, honestly, the biggest reason for making this trail experience and the sabbatical a priority was my own spiritual health, my own need to, to really reconnect with God and um, just feeling like I was, have come through a season of, you know, some people talk about the dark nights of the soul or just various desert experiences in your spiritual life, seasons you can go through, you know, as you journey in faith. Um, I've definitely been in what I would call kind of a funk or like drifting into a kind of dry zone and just not able to bounce back or come out of it with normal sorts of, you know, things you would try to do spiritually, I think just to kind of get yourself back on track or, or whatever. Um, I felt like it was getting to a desperate kind of point where I really needed to do something a little bit drastic um, to make sure I just didn't keep drifting and falling into this, you know, sort of dark space spiritually. Um, and I don't, you know, when you're a pastor, when you're in ministry, you know, it's often difficult to be kind of vulnerable to be able to say, like, hey, I was really struggling here. I was really going through some dark times or uh, really having serious questions about things that I had never really questioned uh, before in my life of faith. Um, so anyway, it really was getting to a point where I just thought I got to take some serious time away from normal day to day life and encounter God again and, um, and try to get back on the same page with, uh, with the spirit. Um, so that really, I would say that's what was prompting this experience in this wilderness trek. So uh, multiple follow-up questions. Do you know about the guys that live out here in the Boise area and the one guy's in a wheelchair and the other guy has like pushed him on the Camino? Oh, no. Pushed and pulled him on the Camino? Yeah, it's really intense. They've got like a documentary. I think they've done it a couple of times. 
And uh, the one guy, he got this, like, he, he got this, he was diagnosed with a disease. I can't remember the name of it, but it, it just slowly takes away your motor skills. Hmm. And for some reason, as these brothers, you know, these, they're, 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 they're friends, but they're like, like brothers in Christ and life. We're talking about like, what do you really want to do? And he's like, I, I've always wanted to hike the Camino, but I can't, like, I can't use my legs anymore. I can barely use my arms. He's like, I'll push you. And so I don't know. You should, you should check that out. But also, um, uh, every time I hear the name Camino, cause this has a lot to do with everything you just shared. Everything. I, every time I hear the word Camino, I think of star Wars clone wars. And then when you said that I was looking at you and I'm like, you kind of look like, a clone like you could be maybe not maybe not a clone because you're one of a kind but maybe a mandalorian that was cloned and then i'm imagining you with like a boba fett helmet on and i'm just liking everything that i'm seeing and then i'm thinking about you on the appalachian trail with a boba fett helmet and then i didn't like that so i tried nah, that would stop that would get pretty sweaty um yeah. I remember from previous conversations and cups of coffee with you, my friend, Crispine, that completing the, the Appalachian Trail has kind of been a goal. Like, that's something that you would like. That, that's a lifetime achievement goal. And you've been doing it in little starts and stops. You said, you know, two nights is the most you've done. And this time, you, what, how many nights was it? 20 what? So 23 days and about 300 miles of trail yeah dude it was so good to you i love that camo hat you have i almost bought a spartan one like that but i it would be seasonal it wouldn't get year year round use this does help with the glare doesn't it well i mean the glare wasn't bothering me but just no. keep keep doing the wardrobe changes because i'm enjoying i'm enjoying that hold on one hold on one second farah farah needs let out i got you buddy go yeah you freak Stupid cats closed in the office. Um, did you see any cats on the Appalachian Trail? Were there any panthers or mountain lions or? Uh, we did think we were seeing some uh, mountain lion scat at some point, um, and yeah. some other some other hikers were talking about hearing something they thought was cat-like. Um, Baby crying in the night. And there's parts of the Appalachian Trail where that where they're definitely sighted but the southern section is not usually where you find too many cats but definitely saw um, bears bears and rattlesnakes snails all that kind of thing banana slugs uh banana slugs i mean I, we saw slugs okay. i don't know what a banana slug is it's just yellow sluggish oh no no yellow snug slugs snugs we uh, saw some orange newts. Um, oh, that's cool. So, yeah, we were able to make some cool potions with the eye of newt. Um, newts and so salamanders you're, you're, and stuff. So it, it was cool. It was cool um, to be immersed in the mountain context. You're saying we... But you started this adventure on your own. Like you didn't, you didn't have anybody that went on the trip with you. But there's other people 
on on the trail and we had we had some conversation about there being young adults that you would encounter because those are probably the people that are more likely to be on the trail um but i got mad respect for a 50 year old um i mean just just knowing you that just that's just something you would do and like would want to do so it just seems really really natural to me but i also get you know being in my 40s wanting to do adventurous stuff and you know I, I don't think it's midlife crisis stuff but if it is i don't care like i want to do things that challenge me that make me better um as a whole person um but sometimes you just got to go do stuff on your own and and um you, you and i haven't talked about this at all but i wondered if this was just because of the season you described earlier if this was just you felt like something that you needed to have the space on your own and not go into it with anybody um, that you already were familiar with family or friends. And then you would encounter who you did on, on the trail. Was that kind of part of the experience for you of like, I got to go solo. Yeah, I think so. I mean, part of going solo is just, it would be unusual for any, anyone else in your close circle of friends, you know, or even family to be able to, disappear for four weeks and go hiking um yeah. so just the nature of the trip itself what i wanted to accomplish demanded kind of the solo approach but yeah i think i knew it just really needed to be basically me and god um you know <clears throat> in solitude now i did i'm totally expected to see a lot of people um because the Appalachian Trail, thousands of people hike, you know, the trail, a uh, few thousand people attempt to through hike it, like hike the whole thing at once, which takes four to six months. Um, usually only, wow. only like 30% of that number would actually succeed. Um, most That seems high though. 30% seems like a time. lot of people. That's still a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it may be less than that. I want to say only about 300 people a year successfully through hike the trail. Wow. Um, but there's lots of places where there's day hikers or you'll, you know, there were days where we would bump into maybe less than 10 other human beings. And then some days you'd see, you know, 50 to a hundred people. Um, just depending on. You, what, but what you, part you, of the you keep you saying, you keep saying we, and I don't think you're talking about yourself like your royalty. So there's other people that you've like, that you've like, like squatted up with on the way. Like they're, they're your homies you meet on the trail and you kind of do, you do part of it, do part of the trail and kind of life together for a while. How, how does that work? How does that happen? Who are these, who are these we, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. So out of the 23 days I was on the trail, there was only one night that I literally slept like alone or camped out alone. So basically as you're, <laughs> as you're hiking, you know, you connect with people. Um, so the very first night I got to a shelter, a campsite. So typically you're hiking to these shelters every five to seven miles, there's a shelter, which just think of a log cabin that's missing one side. And so it's like a three wall cabin with a wood floor maybe a picnic table in front of it, a fire pit. It's basically like a little campsite area. Yeah. So you you basically want to hike to one of these shelters because if it's raining, you can sleep 
in the shelter on the floor, although I rarely only did that one night actually out of 23 because I prefer to be in the tents and kind of be away from the, the crowd if there was a crowd. But you get to the shelter and the fir very first night I got there to the campsite area around 4 p.m. And by 5 p.m. there was one other guy with his dog and a guitar. There were, and then an hour later there was a young couple that was on their honeymoon actually. And then by the end of that mm. first night, uh, a guy showed up um, who became a real good trail friend. His trail name was May um, because the doctor told him once he may never walk again. So he was using the trail name May. Um, he and I, ended up, and he and I ended up hiking together almost every day for about 16 days, a little over two weeks. Um, so any, but every night you tend to meet a couple of new people at the campsite and we would call it shelter family, you know, and we would usually take selfies together, you know, the next morning before we all head out and start hiking and people wake up at different times. Some people will leave, you know, and so your trail family kind of disperses each morning and you may or may not see them again. Um, but each evening as you get to a spot about 5 or 6 p.m., start setting up camp, you're going to end up, you know, with at least two, sometimes eight or ten uh, people all around you setting up. So that would create little opportunities for community. And so, yeah, basically it felt like I was never totally alone on the trail. Um, although during the day when you're hiking, you tend to hike at your own pace. And so I wouldn't always hike with someone but we would tend to stop at the same time for lunch, uh, for a break, and then we would land at the same spot that evening um, to camp out. So you'd have, you know, three to eight hours of solitude hiking, but then hang out with two to six people in the evening and do the fire together, cook meals together and stuff like that. So, okay, I'm going to stop trying to interrupt you with my tangential comments because you just keep going as you should to finish your thought. And I admire that. But I have tangential questions. Um, it sounds like there's this whole kind of culture with hiking the Appalachian Trail. Like you've got, you've, uh, did you say shelter family? Yeah. And you've got trail names. Did you have a trail name? I did. I was a Java man. That's right. I remember reading that in a post. Yeah. So Tell I was us Java why man. you were Java man, Chris. Because, uh, so most people, if they're coffee drinkers, when they go out backpacking, they'll take instant coffee, like, you know, the Starbucks Via yes. packets. Yeah, or, that's me. Uh, sudden coffee, steeped coffee. There's lots of different coffee. You know, I saw a lot of Taster's Choice. Um, I saw a lot of you know, different kinds of coffee. I'll try not to be judgmental since I'm a coffee nerd, <laughs> a coffee snob. snob. Yeah. Um, but as a coffee roaster, as a, as a person with a bit of a coffee reputation, I really felt like I wanted to take um, a grinder. So I had a little hand grinder that's designed specifically for backpacking. Um, and I took uh, whole bean coffee that I had roasted so I had a whole beans and a little grinder in each morning in my tent. I would start grinding beans as my water was heating up on the stove. 
and um, and I would brew a fresh cup of coffee, freshly ground, um, you know, each morning. So it didn't take long for uh, people to start referring to me as Mr. Coffee or the Java dude, the Java man. And Java man ended up being the name that kind of started to stick. And it's funny because you'd hike down the trail and meet somebody new and they'd be like, oh, you're Java man. I heard about you. Um, wow. So News the, travels on the trail. Yeah, the trail grapevine is pretty effective. Um, hmm. But yeah, I was Java man. Uh, I bumped into a you know somebody named Sherpa. There was another guy named Smiles. Um, he was from Dallas Fort Worth, and he would say, "Cause it's not about the miles, it's about the smiles." Um, <laughs> and then there was a, a group of young ladies who were hiking about five miles a day. Um, they were just out to spend a you know, like basically a month on the trail um, because they were getting away from the COVID, you know, pandemic uh, yeah. thing. Um, and they were called the Gossip Girls. Um, there was another they guy. They named themselves or they were named? They were named the that by somebody else. Um, and it can go either way. Sometimes you get a trail name because you do something kind of goofy and people, you know, it sticks. So there was one through hiker we met, he was coming from Maine. So the trail, the northern end of the trail is Mount Katahdin, Maine in Baxter State Park. Um, he had hiked the whole trail, he was about to finish. So he was in Georgia and he was almost to the end of the trail, which is where we start, I started, which was uh, Springer Mountain, Georgia. Um, that's the actual southern end of the trail although i did the approach trail which is a nine mile trail from amicalola falls which is a state park and a beautiful like cascading waterfall thing um, a lot of people hike that little nine mile trail just to get to the appalachian trail because springer mountain is kind of hard to get to um, mm. by, by car so so anyway he was almost done with the trail and his trail name was subway and he was in his 60s he was probably 65 ish um, nice. But when he started hiking the very first day, he had stopped at Subway and gotten like four foot long subs, stuffed them in his pack. And that's what he was going to eat for the first day or two. And uh, so everybody started calling him Subway. Um, so sometimes you get a trail name like that. Um, but yeah, some people would bring like basically have their own trail name in mind and just kind of start telling people that's their trail name. and. And, you know, that's what they want to stick sticks. yeah 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 so are there like are there like trail alliances and people getting voted off and like idols that you can find <laughs> for immunity in, in in the bush i am not aware of that kind of cultural cross-pollination but mm. um yeah the trail community is pretty is pretty fun um and it's one of you know this is true for a lot of different niche you know niche kind of sports and activities i'm sure you've found this with spartan stuff is that there's just like this spartan community man if you bump into somebody who's into spartan you know events and stuff like you instantly have this bond or connection or whatever right so it was definitely like that on the trail and you could instantly tell tell also if someone was just a day hiker you know if they didn't if they weren't carrying a heavy pack or they only were carrying water or they didn't smell bad or they smelled good. If anyone smelled good, you knew they weren't on the trail very long. So 
there was a little bit of out, you can smell the perfume and cologne there was a little bit of a i wouldn't call it like a caste system or whatever but a little bit of a a sense of oh they're just a day hiker you like they don't yeah. get they don't get what we're doing or they don't yeah. whatever tourist um yeah so there was a little bit of that maybe but um when when you were describing grinding the coffee by hand and the water boiling i could almost smell it mm. like I, I can imagine what it would smell like and then just like opening my eyes and seeing chris bean just kind of just chilling just kind of looking around just kind of grinding and know that there's like some good brew that, that's coming here did, did you share that with with people did you and, and did you intend to do that or were you like mm, this is just for me <laughs> i mean there were a couple of times i brewed enough to share with s someone else typically it would be someone that maybe i had been hiking with for a couple of days so i mean there were I'd, I'd say there were three to four people that i got to know well enough that we maintain contact and communication after the trail um like and those, still right now and those were some of the people i i would brew a little extra because water is a pretty valuable resource and so oh yeah you like brew extra coffee for someone else you're going to use up more your water excuse me and i just had enough whole bean coffee to last basically like two weeks and then i had to basically get a mail a resupply box or i'd stop at a town at a post office and pick up you know a priority mail box that i had shipped to myself you know with my next bag of beans or whatever wow and, um, that was kind of how, how survival gear the coffee the coffee beans man yeah um i was pulling up a picture real quick i mean you know for me grinding coffee brewing like using some kind of slow craft you know method of brewing coffee pour over coffee chemex aeropress um a kalita drip or something like that is uh you know, part of my morning ritual anyway. So I don't know, for those who are, who are seeing the video here, uh, this is the, the setup. So that's the stove with my grinder and the little filter that I would filter the coffee. And yeah. Up. Sweet dude. So you ever, you ever heard of screen share? Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> thank well, you for sharing the screen though <laughs> the photos are not on my laptop which is what i'm zooming with but um but anyway yeah i mean and it's amazing too when you are out on the trail just you know after a few days your your sense of smell gets really heightened and sensitive so you know you begin to smell things or people or like mm. I, could, I could smell someone with deodorant coming you know like 100 yards away um but when you first you know break open some of those beans and grind in that coffee in the morning man that aroma is was pretty amazing it's good. and is it covering up a whole lot of, of funk that's <laughs> yeah been, for sure been self self accumulating as well as introduced from from those you're hiking with oh yeah you wake up you know unzip the tent and you can see like a, a cloud <laughs> just leave. a fog <laughs> just you unzip the tent part the tent and then part the funk <laughs> <laughs> yeah
yeah. Heart the Funk Remix, Appalachian Trail. That was yeah. I mean, that was interesting too. Just getting used to like how how you know the the depths of one's humanity. You know of the mm. possibility of of stench and funk and um, but then after a while, kind of getting used to it and being like, eh, it's not too bad. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've quoted this at you before, but um, my you know my brother lives in Kenya. And, and he went to high school there, but we, we spent some time as kids in, in South Africa about Swana's missionary kids. And, and so, you know how, you know, you have all of these, these memories that get prompted by scent, um, <clears throat> just kind of how we're human, us humans are kind of wired. Um, and I remember one time, um, as we were younger adults, I told my brother, I go, remember? Remember what it used to smell like when you're around somebody and we were in like one of those back villages and, and like, you could just, you could just smell them, like their particular scent. And he, and he looked at me, you know, he's, he spent way more time on the continent there than me. And he's gone to high school in Kenya and he's worked in Kenya all of his adult life. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, um, they smell like humans. We smell like soap. And I was like, Hmm what's he trying to tell me? But I just thought that was an interesting comparison. Um, And, you know, when the times I've been backpacking, which you're, you're much more of a prolific backpacker. I, I don't remember the last time that I was out backpacking. Actually, I do remember it. No, no, I don't. That I was out backpacking overnight and spent the night and had hiked in someplace. But, but the times that I have done that have been, they're great memories. And there's something really life-giving about that. There's something very grounding about that for me. And so as, as you begin to lead up and to this Appalachian Trail epic and shared that with me and Jeremy, um, I, got, I got excited for you and a little bit jealous and just that longing to like, I want to do something like that. I, um, yeah, so I, 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 get, I get that, man. And I'm living vicariously through you, listening, listening about it. Um, what's, what's, what's some of the deeper work that, that you were hoping for on the trail that you, you feel uh, comfortable sharing? And um, what, what emerged maybe that, that, uh, that you didn't see coming? Um, so I, I was journaling each day. I had this journal I took with me and which turned out to be kind of heavy. And, um, I ended up ripping half the pages out of this. I kept just enough pages for the 40 days I planned to be on the trail. Um, but since I was only on the trail 23 days, I still have a couple of pages left. I'm working on it, but you know, it's, it's well, let me just, sorry. Let me just say something there. It was only twenty three days. Come on, that's three weeks plus two days. That's a long yeah. time. A little over three weeks. Um, yeah, it was. It was good. I mean, that's a long time to be gone. I was surprised at how quickly. So one of the things, just for instance, prayer has become had become kind of challenging for me. Um, just, you know, as I would try to engage with God in prayer, like 
you know, in, in, in our, you know, kind of Christian experience, you know, what we talk about is like daily devotions, quiet time, like, um, that had really, you know, prayer had really become kind of challenging. And part of it was I was really questioning what happens in prayer and what prayer accomplishes um, that that struggle was also connected to some view of God kind of problems that I was having. I think of really, really struggling with, you know, and it's funny being in ministry, being in youth ministry for 15 years, college ministry for 10 years now. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you can relate to this. Like, I mean, we know what to say. We know how to teach a student to pray. We know how to um, teach a biblical, you know, lesson on prayer. Um, and, and even view of God, like how many times have I had a conversation with a college student trying to help them tweak their view of God? You know, if you've got a view of God where you really think God is, is kind of like a big mean grandpa who, um, you know, is going to get jump my case if I do something wrong, or God is this, you know, mean judge, you know, in a big black robe, uh, looking down his nose and his spectacles at us like, you sinner, uh, you are judged. Um, or, you know, there's just different. So anyway, I was having to rethink even like my view of God, like I do I really see God as this, you know, as the in the prodigal son story as this father whose love for his wayward son is almost scandalous. It's so extravagant. It's so redemptive and forgiving. Um, you know, so anyway, I'm wrestling with some of these issues and, and so prayer had become really a challenge. And, um, so the whole first day I was just, and I would try to use these kind of mantras or quotes or scriptures as basically a daily mantra and throughout that day I would use that phrase pray that phrase mm. I liken it to jazz a little bit where I would try to just riff on that phrase I would improvise yeah. on that phrase I would ask God you know like what like does that. this mean what do you want me to know about this or whatever so um and I expected it honestly I would say I expected it I was hoping that I would reconnect with God, I would re-grasp kind of my own prayer life and have this sense of intimacy with God and feel like when I pray, I'm actually talking to God, I'm not just talking to the wall or the ceiling or uh, whatever. Um, I expected that to take maybe the whole trip, the whole time, the whole 40 days or what ended up being 23, um, or at least a week. I thought I'm gonna have trouble praying for like a week. Um, but I would say, within a couple of days, I mean, I had basically gotten back to this sense of God's presence. And again, the trail just helps, you know, any kind of experience that helps remove distractions, obstacles, thing, noise, you know, things that are making it difficult for you to focus on God. I mean, any kind of experience like that, I think can have this sort of effect. That's why we take people on retreats and, and trips. And, but pilgrimages especially, I think, are, are helpful in this way because any kind of pilgrimage, and this could be a day <laughs> hike for somebody on a trail, 
a pilgrimage is a, a physical expression of a of a spiritual uh, purpose basically um, it's doing something physically um, with kind of a spiritual uh, motivation um, so anyway I would just say prayer not instantly but it did not take long for me to fall back into kind of a good groove of of prayer and being able to talk to God, listen to God, hear from God. Um, I was shocked, honestly, at how quickly God seemed to just restore and kind of redeem some of the time and the, the spiritual neglect or apathy or, you know, whatever it is that had caused me to get into this kind of dark space. Um, that happened really quickly. In fact, I started the hike on a Wednesday. I, I was just telling someone this by Sunday morning. And I didn't even realize at first it was Sunday morning because you kind of lose track of time and days when you're hiking. Um, but I just like started hiking and I just started like um, spontaneously worshiping, singing. A, a song came to mind and um, and I was a worship leader you know, way back in the day and, you know, worship and music has been a big part of my life and ministry. Um, but worship is another thing that had become really kind of dry for me. Like it, it is difficult. It had gotten to a point where it was difficult for me to sit in a worship service, listen to music and worship without analyzing lyrics or being a little bit hey. cynical and critical about, you know, what's happening on the platform or whatever. Um, I, I would say I just haven't had a lot of good engaging times of worship with music um, in quite a while. Um, but I just spontaneously like started to sing this song. I had to sing it in short phrases because I was out of breath, but you know, I'm <laughs> singing this song, Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, mm -hmm. I'll never let you go. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> And it was, uh, mm. he's right there, man. It was, it was the first time in a long time. I had just, yeah. it's good, Chris, that I <laughs> had spontaneously worshiped God. Mm. Um, so, Really from that, I mean, from that point on, and that was only four, four days into the experience. I mean, from that time on, it just got like richer and deeper and more intimate with God in, in terms of, you know, that kind of heart stuff that was, that was going on. Um, and then it was cool as the, as the trip and the experience kind of progressed, you know, I was also dealing with, you know, what's next for me in ministry and vocation. And there's a part of me that was wondering like, okay, am I, am I done with college ministry? Is, is this season of life and ministry um, over? I was beginning to have some feelings that I remember having as I transitioned out of youth ministry, you know, 12, right. 13 years ago, there was some stuff just starting to feel like, ah, oh, this, this is familiar territory. I, this is how I felt when I made that transition. 
Um, so sure. I was really questioning like my passion, my calling, um, you know, my desire to really stay engaged with college students, young adults and stuff like that. Um, but I had some really good times on the trail with, you know, college age young adults, you know, this group of girls, the gossip girls, and then, <laughs> and then this other guy I met who, uh, they called him veggie delights. He was a vegetarian. <laughs> he was a vegetarian. Veggie delights. Um, and he was a real cool uh, student going into his second year, actually at Wright State University, which is just an hour north of me. Sure. Um, so, and he, he was a real thoughtful, critical thinker. He came from a family where one, I think his mom was fairly religious, but his dad was an atheist, basically, or agnostic. So he was really, um, you know, in this critical thinking, secular, skeptical, you know, kind of mindset. Um, he brought the book Crime and Punishment to read while he was hiking. Um, so a little Dostoevsky. Uh, to read on the trail. A little light reading, a little, little outhouse occasion. It's a pretty thick book, too. But the, you know, that's half a pound. And when you're trying to keep your pack weight down, man, even half a pound is like, oh, man, should I really bring this book? Uh, but yeah. he was that, that, you know, for me, that was coffee. I had to decide whether I wanted to lug a pound and a half of coffee gear around. Uh, but for some people, it's things like books or whatever their luxury item might be, a camp yeah. chair or something. But so we ended up at this uh, shelter together one night and they were talking, they were all talking about mushroom shrooms and psychedelics and um, cannabis, you know, the whole conversation was fairly interesting. Um, and then one of the girls asked me like, well, you don't kind of fit in this group right here. You're, you look... <laughs> You're basically saying like I'm I was the old guy in the conversation yeah, in the right. group and at the shelter that night. And um they were like, What are you doing out here? Why are you out here? Um so you know, I always started pretty um you know, light. I I would never give someone the full, you know, story of why I was on the trail initially, but just to you know, start by saying, you know, well, it's actually a sabbatical. I would call it like a spiritual quest. You know, I'm really trying to, you know, just yeah. enjoy the trail, but really encounter God. So I would start with something like that, maybe. Um, and then she just, questions. she just kept kind of digging a little deeper, like, oh, that's interesting. Like, why, why is that important to you? Or yeah. what's the, what's the deal with, why are you trying to encounter God or whatever? You know, and um, and then it turned into this really interesting question. At one point, I'm in tears kind of talking about how I feel, you know, like, oh, I've gotten to this point where I almost felt like abandoned by God, like, and I'm trying to figure out, was, is that me or God? Is that, um, you know, and I'm sharing this real deep stuff with them. And this other, one of the other girls just starts, she starts opening up and saying like, oh my goodness, I used to go to church and I was a Christian, but since I've been in college, I haven't, you know, really done it. And, that, and man, that makes me want to, you know, really find a, a group to um, kind of meet with again or a church or something like that. So she just all of a sudden opened up and started talking. And then the Veggie Delights, you know, he starts talking about how faith was, had created such a struggle in his family between his mom and dad. And his dad's very 
anti-faith, but his mom is this, and he's kind of wrestling with it. And it a conversation together, which started off talking about, you know, shrooms and psychedelics and, and, and with, you know, somebody perhaps enjoying a little bit of, uh, of the wacky tobacco. Um, <laughs> so, but it ends up being this conversation um, that, you know, I reflected on later and, and, and journaled and just felt like God had confirmed that this is really the crowd. Of, this is really the crowd that I enjoy hanging out with and, and talking yeah. to. Um, and, and there were a couple of other experiences in relation. There was a, a guy who was uh, actually a student from Princeton and he was an ROTC guy and he was, he was really on the trail to suffer. Like he was, he had his pack filled to capacity with about 50 pounds worth of stuff. Um, he was just really trying to suffer and put himself to the test physically and see what he was made of kind of a thing. Um, and we were at a shelter or campsites together for a couple of nights and had some good conversations. And, um, and it tended to be, yeah, it was either 20 somethings basically or 60, whoops, 60 somethings who were hiking on the trail. Okay. Um, in fact, I was a little bit of a, a weird sort of, uh, outlier middle-aged kind of person. <laughs> um, they tend so to you, either be younger you, than me or older than me. You've got the young adults and you've got like the retired folks, right? And they're like, yeah. what am I going to, what are the younger ones are going, what am I going to do next? I've got this time. I'm going to go do this, you know, early on in life and older folks may be like, uh, this is something I've always wanted to do, or I really enjoy doing these things. And everybody else is at home watching Netflix, wondering when there's going to be a vaccine for COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I mean, that gives you an idea of some of the kind of personal deep stuff that happened to me on the trail, as well as some, I feel like it was some insight. I didn't walk away from the trail feeling completely clear and sure about my next steps in ministry or vocation, but it definitely nudged me in a, or at least affirmed that I'm, I'm, I'm still in the right uh, spot, generally speaking, um, with college age young adult ministry. Yeah. So, so that was a good bit of confirmation. Um, yeah. And I think, well, as, you know, the, the real, the heart stuff, the personal stuff that happened, I mean, basically that positioned me to be really back in good communication with God and having this sense of trust. Um, I remember reading uh, a Brennan Manning book. Um, Ruthless he, Trust, man. Ruth, it's on my shelf. Ruthless Trust, yes. Yeah. Where he, there's a statement in there where he says, you know, we shouldn't pray for clarity, basically. Mm. We should pray for trust. The ability to trust God in the absence of clarity. Because yeah. um, oftentimes we want clarity or certainty. Mm. Really, we want God to just like, almost like Siri navigation, like turn left uh, at the next stop. <laughs> Right. You know, we, yeah, we, we do. Want, we want God to do that instead. Rerouting. Rerouting. God wants to just say, hey, <laughs> hang with me. Follow me. Trust me. Here's enough lamplight to see the next step. And that's about all, all you need right now, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I felt like I came away from the trail with a real, re a renewed sense of trust in God and, and a feeling like, 
you know, I'm good. This is going to, this is going to mm. work out. All shall be well. You know? Well, as, as your, as your friend and, and, and brother in Christ, um, I was really grateful in, in the, you know, brief messages that we exchanged, uh, while you were on the trail. Um, it just, I got this sense of like, you needed to be both, both like physically, both internally and externally and, and, defining where that was at wasn't so important as just being available. Um, and I could just see that th this was, this, this was refreshing for you. Like it was hard, but it was, it was, it was refreshing. I was just really grateful for that and celebrated that, um, in those little messages back and forth. And, and I didn't ever really expect you to get back to me. I thought, man, he'll get off the, just knowing you a little bit. I thought when he gets back, He'll be like, oh, yeah, hey, saw your message. And then we talk, you know. So I was, yeah. it was little, little gifts from the trail from, from Chris um, to, to Kenny. But, um, well, definitely being out on the trail there, you know, when you're used to constant communication, you're used to the way in which we typically, you know, check social media multiple times a day, right. not an hour, or, you know, take, there definitely were, you know, I would go a couple of days when I wouldn't even have cell signal. So you'd have to wait till you hike up to a high elevation and maybe there's a cell phone tower on the next mountain or whatever. So whenever we did That's get so a good signal, you know, two or three of us, if we were hiking together, we'd hang out in that spot and like catch up on some messaging and stuff like that, you know, for a little bit. And then you might go two or three days again without any you know of that um which was cool it you know that was one of the the gifts of the trail too was to disconnect and just get yeah. out of that habit of needing to check your phone every few minutes um yeah so that was a that was a good gift but there were times where my wife certainly wanted to hear from me more off more frequently than i was able to communicate um you know <laughs> what's what's interesting i don't know if i want to say challenging frustrating um encouraging depending on how you look at this you know a lot of people would say oh wow okay chris so you know wow aren't you lucky that you were able to take four weeks and go do something like that and i i always want to push back on or i just met with a young adult last night we were hanging out and he was kind of telling me the struggle he's gone through and he hasn't been to church in a long time and he's a student who used to be part of our campus ministry and now he's married and young adulting and all that um and it was so easy for him to come up with excuses of why he's not really engaging with god right now even though he's actually not working he's at home almost all day long all the time um, his wife is working, but he's not, he's home taking care of the dogs, feels like a stay at home mom kind of thing. And, um, and he was talking about, oh, I wish I could go on the trail. I wish I had time to do something like that. Or I wish I had, <laughs> it's just so funny to me that people can so quickly and easily have that perspective of like, well, that's, you know, you can do that, but not everybody can do that. Not everybody has the time to do this or that. Um, and I would just say, oh man, don't make, you know, people need to not make excuses um, and, and figure out, especially if you get to a point where you, 
you feel like something drastic needs to happen here for me to really get back on track uh, spiritually, like something drastic needs to happen. So anyway, I just encourage people to not make excuses like, oh, I can't do this. I can't get away or whatever. Did we lose? Did we lose contact? You you kept going, so we were good. It was it was on my end. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, two two follow up questions to this this last part here, Chris. Um, one is I don't know if it's a question. I just maybe a response. I, I begin as your friend to get a little concerned about you because you were you were making these posts about the physical toll that the trail was taking. And you're, you're an athletic guy. I mean, I know you're, you've, you've been active your life, all your life. Um, you've run marathons. You've, uh, you're, you're a current runner. You were getting ready for the trail. And um, then some of your posts, I was like, wow, this is really, this is hurting my friend, you know? Um, and is he going to push through this? And like, I said, I'm going to be out here 40 days. So I'm going to be out here 40 days, no matter what. Um, or is, is like, how, how is he going to respond to this? So that's, that's my personal kind of question and inquiry of like, what, what was, what was going on there? Any parts that, that you feel like you can share there? Um, and, and um, decisions you needed to make w- with that. And then I'm super curious about how your family was before you were going, while you were going and afterwards. And if there's anything too personal here, that's, that's too bad. You don't have to share. Yeah. So. So, I mean, the physical challenge of the trail was significant. Um, And I would say that most people underestimate how hard it's going to be to hike in the Appalachian Mountains with a 25 to 40 pound pack on your back. Um, And even I underestimated, like I did a little bit of training, but not on terrain that was anything like what I was actually going to be hiking on. So when I actually got, you know, to where you're having 5,000 feet of elevation change in a day's worth of hiking. um, Really? That much? Yeah. Yeah. What elevations are you, are you uh, working between with 5,000 feet? So early on in Georgia, you know, the highest mountain you're going to climb is a little over 4,000 feet. Like blood mountain is the highest mountain top on the trail in Georgia. It's not the highest peak in Georgia, but it's the highest. So anyway, that one was 4,400 4, feet. And then you come, you descend a thousand feet from Blood Mountain into Neal's Gap. And then you immediately climb another mountain up to 3,800 feet. Um, and you might have up to four of those kinds of climb and descent in a day like there were some in the smokies i um i think i hit five peaks one day in the smokies now some of the smokies wouldn't come down from that elevation quite as much so a little bit more ridge walking yeah up and then down but um in a lot of areas yeah there's significant elevation change so you're hiking up you get to the peak the summit you get a nice view you get your reward and then you go back down and for old guys i mean the descent the downhill can be harder than the uphill in terms of hips and knees how it hurts the the knees um and stuff like that so so downhill doesn't necessarily mean relief (laughs) 
Um, so anyway, you know, I mean, there were nights where I would try to fall asleep and my feet and ankles hurt so bad, I could not rest my heels on the ground. Um, and so I'd have to put my pack under my calves or under my Achilles kind of ankle area so that my feet were suspended in the air because it hurt to have my heels touching the ground. I mean, it was painful. Um, and so that was challenging. There were, you know, I had some hamstring problems. I had a problem with my left knee where something behind my left knee started almost kind of like clicking. It feels like, you know, where you have almost like a rubber band kind of tissue thing sure. where it's it's rubbing on something and then popping over a bone yeah. or a something. I hate that sound. You have that feeling of something's not right there. Something's moving and and it's because, you know, basically something's inflamed and so the tendon is having trouble working around that thing now or whatever. So anyway, physically it was pretty grueling. I'd say it took it really took about two weeks before I got what they call trail legs. Um, most people, if you just start hiking, like basically come off the couch and start hiking, it would take about five weeks to get tr what they call trail legs. And trail legs just means like, you get to the point where whatever your average mileage for the day is gonna be, that starts to feel comfortable. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt you basically at the end. But I mean, I was bumping into hikers all the time who were nursing injuries and trying to figure out whether they're going off the trail or staying on. Um, and there was a point, I mean, I had, I tell people, I was shocked at how many times, how many spots there are on the Appalachian Trail where you could fall to your death. Like that was kind of shocking to me that there was so much potential to fall off a ledge, you know, basically to be in places where if you have a fear of heights, it would not be a fun experience. Um, so not just that, but then, um, and I only had, I had one fall where I, kind of leaned the wrong and my pack weight shifted and it kind of pulled me over and I fell off the trail luckily I fell into a tree so I didn't keep falling down the mountain basically um man but that was like my scariest fall experience um but the really my scariest experience was a day that I ended up hiking a little over 30 miles uh, hiked for like 15 hours straight into the night. Um, I missed a turnoff where I was going to get off the trail and go to a hostel and stay for the night. I missed that somehow as it was getting dark. And so I just kept hiking. Um, and then I ended up having to hike seven more miles to get to a shelter area. And I hiked over this mountain peak um, and I ran out of water. So for the last three hours of the hike, I had no water in my, oh, no. in my pack. So I was starting to get dehydrated. It was the first time I had this sense of like, wow, something really bad could happen here. Like if I mm. pass out um, or fall or, and that's a night I saw a bear and a rattlesnake. I remember this post. Yeah, so the rattlesnake uh, kind of struck or lunged at me a little no bit. No way. Um, yeah, then I tried to stone it. Um, I got kind of angry and thought, I'm going to kill this rattlesnake, um, but I missed. It was dark, so it was hard to judge, like, depth <laughs> and distance. So I, 
I missed the snake, which made him mad. And those things can rattle pretty loudly. Like it's pretty cool. Um, but finally, I I kept tossing little rocks at him till he went down the hill and got away from me. But anyway, that was a rough night where I literally I had thoughts that night like why wait why am i doing this i could die like if i got bit by a rattlesnake i'm not sure yeah i don't know if people die from rattlesnake bites um i'm i'm sure you would if you got no treatment in time yeah but, right and you were completely on your own yeah at that point yeah um so anyway there were some scary moments the there was when i quit right about the 300 mile mark I got off the trail and went to a hostel and stayed the night and I was thinking about resting because I still wanted to get 500 miles. I was trying to get to Damascus, Virginia. Um, but at that hostel, I, the pain in my left knee was getting worse and I was having enough pain, enough issues where I thought, well, if I push it, something could really go wrong. I could mess myself up and mm. I don't want to come home and need, you know, surgery or physical therapy for six months or whatever. So yeah, at that sure. point, it kind of came down to like, okay. And at that point, like I had gotten really what I needed to get from the experience as far as the spiritual motivation for the trip. And so I felt good about kind of pulling the plug at that point. Um, and then, I mean, it was hard on my family. I would say, you know, I was looking back through my journal and when I left Cincinnati, the, the first, you know, the, the day I left home to drive down to Georgia, um, my son, who's nine, Josiah was in tears and mm. he was begging me not to stay gone so long. He thought I was going to be gone five weeks. And I mean, you know, he was the most emotional and the, and the hardest one to walk away from that day. Um, my girls are a little bit older, 21 and 17. And, um, they were more like, hey, cool, dad, have fun, you know. Yeah. Sounds awesome. You're weird. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, of course, for Deb, my wife, it was a mix of she was excited for me to have the experience, but, you know, not loving the idea of me being gone and her being on her, being a single parent for a few weeks or whatever. Right. Um, now, as you know, as a husband, as a married, you know, married person for 26 years now, you know, there's a part of me as I leave, I think, um, I don't want my wife to enjoy my absence too, too much. Yeah, I hope I, you know, come back to the whole absence makes the heart grow fonder thing. Um, she and I did just talk. She was like, okay, um, I got to give you some credit. You do more around the house than I thought you did. So I'm glad you're back. You know, she said something yeah. like that. So, <laughs> um, we'll take but, it. Yeah. So it was, it was hard family wise, hardest for my son. Um, but again, since I came back a little bit early, that helped. Um, and you know, they all did fine. Everything was great. Um, the grass got mowed, the trash was taken out, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Do you, do you have any lingering um, physical just stresses from the from the journey that are still barking at you? A little bit, a little bit. I came back, so I lost about twenty five pounds yeah. while, I was, while I was hiking. So when I got back and I was feeling, you know, once I took the pack off, I could literally feel myself being lighter, not hitting the ground as hard as I normally would. You know, whatever. Mm. 
So I thought, oh, while I drop this weight, I should start running again. Oh no, Chris. I wanted to get back into running. So I immediately like did a seven mile run the next day and, <laughs> and pulled my hamstring. And Dude. so I've been trying to take three or four day breaks and then run a little bit and just see if I can run again. But every time I go to run now, I get about a mile down the road and the hamstring tightens up and I realize I have to just yeah. walk, walk back home so I don't actually tear it or strain it. So, so I'm nursing the hamstring thing and then this, this left knee, that little tissue popping ish thing is still happening um, a little bit. So I'm not, uh, I've done some long bike rides, so I'm trying to do more biking right now to just Less impact to keep the weight off because I want to yeah. keep the weight off and do some cardio to do that. But the running is still not going to happen, I don't think. And maybe my running days, my marathon days are are over. Although it's always interesting when I see an Ironman event, you know, and see some 70 year old dude out there running the Ironman in Kona. I'm like, dang, okay. I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I hope to still do running and be active and stuff like that. But I'm I'm having to be a little bit careful right now and try to get completely healthy again. Well, your your body needs that rest and recovery after all that stress, right? What is it? Is it stress? Adapt, recover? Or is it stress recovery adapt? Something like that is kind of the the fitness cycle of like what we put our body through, and then the time it develops. yeah then it then it recovers and then and then it adapts to it. But I mean, you know, I've never done marathons. You've done marathons. You know, your body needs more rest after that than than you think that it's going to. And and you you did marathons out there. I mean, three hundred miles worth. I did one and, marathon day, the thirty mile day, and that was surprising um that was not intentional that i should have that should have been a 23 mile day but i missed my stop and i hiked seven or eight extra miles so and that was weird because even at 20 miles that day i remember feeling like oh i'm done like i cannot keep hiking and uh and ended up going 10 miles beyond that now the last seven miles was on pure adrenaline um you know, after seeing a rattlesnake and a bear and just, sure, you know, just being like, I mean, survival literally, mode, literally like adrenaline is coursing through my body for the last three or four hours. Um, so, but anyway, yeah, that was crazy just to think like, wow, I just did a marathon with a pack um, on a lot of elevation. That was definitely harder than any marathon I've done, I think. Wow. That's, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah. So, Okay. Do you have intentions of going back to the trail? Yeah, I definitely want to go from now on. I want to get into a rhythm of spending at least one week every year on the trail. And like um, get the whole thing? And eventually hike the whole thing in sections. Yep. And then my hope has been, you know, later in life when I have more time, retire, whatever, I don't know, take another sabbatical or something. Um is to through hike the whole trail. So hike it from start to finish, um, hopefully in three to five months. I don't think it would take me a full six months, but you never know. However, I, I honestly came away from this long section hike and, um, and I qualify now as what they call a lasher, which is a long uh, section hiker. 
Um, so, I'm, so 300 miles qualifies as a long section. So, um, but Thank coming back from that, effects. honestly, I kind of, it got to a point where I was like, um, okay, I think I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to get in my bed again, have mm -hmm. a shower, all that kind of stuff. Um, I did come away actually doubting my, my plans and hopes to do a through hike. I had wanted to, when Joey graduates high school, I always thought it'd be a fun father-son thing for he and I to hike the whole trail together before he starts college or does what's up, whatever's next, almost like a gap year experience kind of thing. So that had always yeah. been my hope or dream is to hike it with him at that point. Um, but we don't necessarily need to hike the whole thing. And honestly, the more I talk to through hikers and experience the trail myself, I'm not sure through hiking is the best plan. Um, it sounds cool. It sounds like one of those things I would love to have on the bucket list checked off kind of a thing. But there is a point at which you just start to feel like, oh man, this is my job hiking. I get up, um, you know, I pack up the yeah. tent, I hike for eight to 12 hours, I stop, I set up tent, I fix food, I go to bed. You start getting up as soon as the sun comes up, you go Groundhog to bed day. as soon as it gets dark, which is a kind of a nice rhythm to get into um but there the longer you're on the trail i do get the feeling like it could sort of take the joy out of it like trying to do too much at once could could make it you know i don't know okay i i i'm just getting this application to my own life and to ministry and to vocation and taking a trail section experience. And, and then the words you just said and, and how that can become such a reality for me and for us in, in ministry, not being out on that trail, but like fantasizing about being on the trail and how great that would be. But in life, just getting stuck in the mundane and the going and, it's not fun anymore. Um, but it, it's, I need the, I need the back and forth. I need the wilderness and I need the city. I need to get up early and get away from everybody. And I need to come back into community and into life yeah. and, and, and into flow. And I really like the, the rhythmic, um, uh, plan that you're proposing of, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't sustainable. This is an important piece to help all the rest of life. And I'm going to experience this in little jaunts um, because I find it really, really life-giving. Um, Chris, I, um, I would love to be your trail buddy sometime, dude, like your trail mate, you know, <laughs> like go in, on one of these sections and like come experience that with, with you at some point. And, and this, this is just a hypothetical Dumb idea, probably probably never ever gonna happen with the Young Adult Ministry podcast. Gamcast, Gamcast, Gamcast. But how cool would it be for us to have like an annual thing where we did part of the trail and we just said young adults, young adult leaders, or young adult leaders and bring a young adult if you want to, come one, come all. This is where we're starting if you want to join us. You know, yeah. Chris, Kenny, and Jeremy are, are gonna be there and um, here's the packing list, it's short. Join us for the Yamcast pilgrimage. That's yeah. That's just the that's that's the agenda, and we just we just go do some life together for just a little bit, and 
You know, I, I think one of the things, I don't know, it's a con- I don't think it's a conviction that I'm feeling as I'm listening to you today, more maybe of just an invitation, um, just deep in my heart from the Lord of, remember when, remember when you used to like get away once a month and just take a day, not even overnight. Remember when you used to just set aside those desert experiences and not have an agenda and just go and walk and not even try to pray, just, just kind of be with me. And dude, listening to your story today has been a, it's a gift and I'm excited to hear more as we journey together and the, the stories kind of come out little by little. Um, but I've, I've needed this, um, to just, to just get the, the, the kick in my spiritual disciplines, but of, um, I've got a lot of flexibility just to take a day a month where I can just go be with the Lord. And I, I want that. I need that. And there's no reason I'm not doing that. Um, so I want to be accountable to you. you. You don't have a job in this. It's just me saying it out loud to you of, I just need to do that. And I'm going to go do that. And I'm, and I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll start this month. I'll get a day in where I go do that. Yeah, Cause I, I, I love it, but it's, it's like, why does it take so much for me to get there? You know, to get into that space where it's just me and Jesus, like you were describing er- earlier on. And just thanks for sharing your, your heart about that and being really open and vulnerable with that. That's yeah. contagious for me. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm trying to figure that out too. Like what, what is the rhythm of Sabbath and soul keeping that will kind of help sustain because ideally one wouldn't need to take a four week trip on the Appalachian trail, you know, every five years to, to <laughs> basically nurture your relationship with God, you know, it should be, you know, maybe a more frequent rhythmic, um, you know, kind of set of practices. And, and I do think that's what Sabbath is about. Um, I read this someplace about taking a day a week or something. I mean, it's some familiar. stupid, crazy um, idea. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and and it's hard for us, like, again, even, you know, the Christian way we talk about, oh, I'm going to do devotions, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do something, you know, religious to kind of, you know, whatever, be my daily or, or weekly Sabbath or your quiet time. Um, But to just like be with God, you know, for me, Psalm 23 was, I mean, I have a completely new relationship with Psalm 23 right now. And the whole, you know, the second verse that says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, I mean, you could, you could take that verse different ways. Like, you know, sometimes God has to make us lie down, you know, like lie down. Or you think about what sheep actually require so that they will lie down. They have to be free from hunger so they can't be hungry they have to be free from pests or disease or sickness they have to be free from conflict with one another like there's a, these are basically these four things that need to be happening so that a sheep will actually lie down otherwise they won't they won't rest interesting um, i haven't heard this perspective before and there's you know a lot of application there's so many nuanced insights you know in psalm 23 
that I keep, you know, discovering and, and realizing, but, um, but back to just the discipline and the, and the rhythm of it and whatever. Um, and just, we're just not good at just lying down, like doing nothing, like just being, just enjoying a stream or a nice place to hang out. Or even if it's your back porch or deck or your neighborhood walking or a nearby trail or a lake or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I just want, I want to get better at, at figuring out how to just experience something like that on a regular basis and be in conversation with God, but not have a big agenda. Like I don't have to read this many verses. I don't have to journal a full page. I don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to last this long or that long. I don't have to come away with some great insight. I just, I just need to, to be, um, yeah, present with God. Well, good. I'm glad it was encouraging and challenging. Yeah. I just want to end it right there, yeah. dude. You just, you just took us out with that, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, and brother. Surely, and surely goodness and mercy, God's loving kindness will follow us all the days of our lives. Mm. Amen. I receive that. Amen. Mm. Amen. Well, thanks, bro. Um, enjoy your day, and I look forward to uh, yam casting with you and Jer next week. Sweet. It's going to be fun. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Catch you later. Peace. Peace.